hello, hello. Good morning, good afternoon. Can anybody hear me? I can. There you are. <laughs> hey, Jay, good afternoon. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? Oh, I am pretty great now that I get to talk to you. Thanks so much for your time. Oh, yeah, thanks for having me on. So I'm really excited to get to hear how your project came to be, your latest project. Dante's Inferno, uh, an epic, massive adaptation, but I kind of want to start back at the beginning a little bit to get a sense of you and what you're all about. So do you mind if we get the ball rolling by uh, perhaps you sharing a couple of things about where you're from, where you grew up? Sure. Yeah. So I'm from uh, North Carolina, a city called Greensboro, and um, lived there my whole childhood. So we didn't move around or anything. And then um, moved just slightly east to Raleigh in North Carolina for uh, when I was 18 for college. And I've been here ever since then. Oh, so wonderful. I'm here, still in Raleigh. <laughs> so home is home and it's always felt like home for you. Yeah. Oh, good. Good. Uh, did you have a lot of uh, creativity or any writing in your family when you were younger? Was that something that was pretty common for you? Yeah, well, so my dad's a pretty creative person. Um, so he he wrote some, he's written some poetry and stuff like that. Like oh, nothing great. published, but just as, you know, as fun. So, um, yeah, I would say there's some, um, but I'm definitely the most, you know, writerly person, I guess you could say. <laughs> yeah. So he, he passed that on to you in a way. Uh, do you he recall did. writing when you were younger? What, what was the earliest memory that you have of writing or being creative? Oh, super early. So I used to do these little books about dinosaurs and whales and stuff in oh, kindergarten. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, and I used to read, I loved reading uh, Dr. Seuss and Shel Silverstein. Mm -hmm. And so I loved reading poetry like of that sort, but never wrote it until I think like in third grade, we had an assignment and I just went, you know, went crazy writing, uh, all sorts of little poems for it. And I've been writing poetry ever since then. <laughs> oh, that's so, lovely. Yeah. <laughs> so you decided to go to study this for school, right? Or did you study something else when you were in, say, later in high school or college? Um, yeah. So, well, a little bit of both, I guess. I, um, I double majored in engineering and also in English literature. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I sort of stuck with it while also <laughs> pursuing other that is, things that is some very real world thinking that i desperately appreciate i think it's it's pretty wonderful <laughs> uh what led you to do that i mean was it sort of like a life thing where you made an agreement with your parents or was it something like no i'm going to be a realist about this there was no real no not that much planning was involved it was <laughs> it was it was more like pursue the things that i love right and mm -hmm. and my favorite things were writing uh stories and poetry and then um physics i also really love physics oh so, interesting so that's sort of what my thinking was going into it was like well i can sort of try to pursue both if possible mm. i love that it's it's like not taking any uh any what do you call it no hostages taken or whatever i don't even know what the what the expression is <laughs> it's a very tired and, and useless expression but it's more like no compromise right no compromise i'm going to go pursue that so yeah. <laughs> when did you, when did you find this interesting, uh, I guess, interest in classical works, uh, in particular, you mentioned in this really amazing interview, 
on the Dante podcast. I sat there and listened to that yesterday and I was like, this is one of my favorite podcasts already. Like that was a hell of an interview with you. You you had so many awesome things to say. And uh, I was just really taken with, with Mark, the interviewer, the podcaster. So can you tell me when this began for you, where you started honing in on the classics in particular, you know, works of Dante and, and mythology as something that was really kind of striking you? Yeah, sure. So, so the classics, it goes way back again. So I think in like, I don't remember what grade, third or fourth grade in elementary school, we started learning about just like Greek gods and goddesses. And I I was really into it back then. So I just liked all the little, you know, wild stories and (laughs) (laughs) and everything. Uh, In fact, I remember having like a, a report, like some sort of project that I did where I had to dress up as Zeus and come in front of the class. <laughs> so, That's epic. Yeah. <laughs> How did that so, go? If you remember, <laughs> I, I have no idea. To be like, this is I me. Think, I did the thing. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. I think it went well. I guess. Right. Yeah. <laughs> as as well as that can go. No, I I love that. I kind of fixate on those ideas, especially early on, and how at least for me, they, they kind of seem to be a North star for what I want to do in in my life. Because I feel like when you get older, it's harder, right. To maintain that interest, that drive for something that is so openly creative without any real excuse, you know, it's just like, this is existing to, to be like a beautiful, powerful, creative thing. So I'm, I'm always kind of interested in how you originated that kind of drive for your work. But now looking back and, and seeing the work that you're doing now, can you tell me how you settled on Inferno of all works and, and how you, you felt like this could be a good vehicle for what you had to say? Yeah. Uh, so it was, um, you know, a stroke of luck as much as anything. So in college, uh, I was doing like a world literature class and, um, the, I had a great professor and we came to the time of, you know, doing a final essay and I, I, we read Inferno or at least just a few cantos of it as part of the class. And I really loved it because of that, you know, because of my background with Greek mythology, I mean, background, you know, because of my passion for that. Yeah. And, um, so I just thought it was so interesting. I knew very little about it. (laughs) And so I, I asked my professor if, if I could do just like a translation of the first canto as, Mm. um, you know, instead of a final paper and he agreed, fortunately. So that was cool. (laughs) And I ended up doing, uh, five of them before, you know, the assignment was due. They weren't very good. (laughs) Um, but, but it was really fun to do. Mm. And I think, I think my naivety about it, you know, helped me probably get sucked into it even more because Mm -hmm. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Yeah. Um, so that was over 10 years ago now. So that I started all this. Oh, wow. So this has been in the works for about 10 years of you kind of chipping away. Um, that's right. That's fascinating. So this seems like something that you had to step away from for some time and then come back to it and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, just, you know, I, I have lots of, I mean, as anybody does, I have lots of other things going on in my life. So in, in the interim there, so between when I started and now, I guess I, you know, I started and finished a PhD program in 
in materials engineering. So like that was completely different. So oh, that was big, big chunk of my time there. I uh, met my current, my now wife <laughs> and we fell in love. Oh, we had a son, we had a son, got married, you know, so oh, there are lots of other things going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's fascinating. I'm really struck by how it, it almost seems like you have these two areas of your mind that are a very linear kind of engineer like way of thinking and perhaps a very creative kind of approach to life. But do you think that the translations allow you to blend those things or is there no overlap in your worlds? I'd say a little bit they they blend, yeah, because translation is in some ways, I mean, in some ways it's this creative act, you know, because you have to write well and you have to try to that that takes creativity. But in another way, it's a puzzle. You know, you you're mapping one way of expressing something to another way of expressing something. So mm. I think in that sense it carries over. And then in like a less direct sense for Dante in particular, because he was super interested in the natural world and mm -hmm. you know what passed for science in his day <laughs> um, just having that that background and, and curiosity about the natural world i think also helps me understand mm -hmm. and appreciate a lot of what dante goes for you know yeah you had mentioned in the other interview that uh you you would have been afraid of uh <laughs> <laughs> Dante at the time, if you, if you yeah. ever met him. And I'm curious if you could elaborate on that. I just, uh, I love that. <laughs> sure. Um, well, like, okay. So I guess the young Dante, when he lived in Florence was kind of this, you know, he, he was a lot happier and freer. And, uh, he, he wrote about, um, not easier things necessarily, but like he did. Okay. As an example, he had this friend for Donati, and they wrote these poems together, these sonnets uh, that were like basically little rap battles against each other. <laughs> so like for wrote one to Dante that was like making fun of his father or something. Right. And then yeah. Dante responds, making fun of for for, for uh, gluttony for whatever, you know? <laughs> so like <laughs> that, that Dante, you know, is more approachable. I feel like, right. The, mm -hmm. the young Dante, by the time he's like finished the comedy, he's this like, it seems like a lot more of an austere person and he's really mm -hmm. set in his, in his uh, convictions and things like that, which isn't necessarily like, the, you know, because of that, you'd think the comedy might be preachy or whatever, but yeah. it's not at all. It's really mm -hmm. about making you think and making you decide for yourself. But um, he just seems much more intimidating and he knows everything i mean everything there was to know back at that time period he pretty much knew mm. so i think it would be very intimidating <laughs> to speak to him yeah yeah i mean it's fascinating because you do think of the impact of having a life lived in that time period you know and just for my own education were there any major events that disrupted his way of thinking that you you could kind of see i mean i'm not sure how uh, how much information there is on the life of the individual himself but if there was something that affected the way that he saw the world from a younger person to like what he was later, or was it just getting old? <laughs> well, the <laughs> which happens, I mean, you know, it's happening. That plays a role, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so the biggest, the single biggest thing in his life, there were two things that basically happened. One thing that affected him profoundly is he fell in love with this girl um, at the age of nine, really, or eight, I guess, mm -hmm. really early on. 
um, because of the way things worked back then, there were arranged marriages and things like that. Mm. So it was never like destined to become anything more than sort of this distant love for her. And, and he liked to go see her in town and stuff. He lived in Florence. And um, when she was young, she was 24, I believe, she died suddenly. Oh. And so that Damn. profoundly impacted him. And in fact, his first little book of poetry is basically centered around her and tells the story of, of their meeting and, and how he used to write things for her. And then after she died, how everything sort of shifted. Um, then, <laughs> not too long after that, so in the year 1301, or 13, end of 1301, beginning of 1302, he was exiled from mm -hmm. Florence. So there was a lot of political tensions in that city. Um, not, not unlike, you know, what's going on in the United States today. Sure, sure. Um, you know, they had things that, that, you know, you think of as medieval times, right? Like storming government buildings and things like, <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah. So sure. That so happened a bit more often than it does now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so anyway, so the, basically the opposing party who had the favor of the Pope um, ended up taking over Florence. And while he was down in Rome trying to speak to the Pope and sort of help fix, fix things, um, they took over the city and they exiled him along with a lot of other political leaders. So he was mm -hmm. a political leader as well as a poet. Mm -hmm. And um, that, in addition to the death of, of Beatrice, that was like the single biggest thing that changed him. Mm -hmm. And shortly after that, he started writing the Inferno. Wow. And so. I, yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Cause I can imagine, right. You have an emotional part of you that is just completely demolished by, by cruelty of the cosmos or, or something like that. And then you also have the community that you're supposed to be trying to build or help with turn, turn its back on you. That can kind of make you question just about everything yeah. in life. So, yeah. uh, it, it's a very curious thing because you do you think that there can be an uncoupling of the religious aspects of of the work to to look at it more like here's a a non-religious way of looking at the world or or here's something that kind of reinforces your values or makes you question your values do you see that kind of meaning in modern times for this work for this translation yeah i mean so that's a really good question i i think that I don't think the religion can necessarily be decoupled from it. I wouldn't say that, but I would say that you can, anybody can appreciate the poem regardless of their religion. Mm -hmm. I think, I think the things it speaks to are, you know, relevant to everybody. Um, and especially in Inferno and, and Purgatory. And then it gets, it gets more theological in, in Paradise. It gets mm -hmm. more um, difficult to sort of follow if you don't study, you know, Thomas Aquinas and so on. Mm -hmm. but um but i think that the things you get out of it are mostly human things and you know what does it mean to be a good person you know and uh what does it mean to write good poetry yeah things things like this so yeah i, th I think there's a little bit of both mm -hmm. and i think for to, to translate it it definitely helps to try to understand the religious implications and the religious background Dante had and stuff like that to enjoy it as a reader. I think you can, you can get by without it, mm -hmm. but you'll understand it more deeply. If you, if you 
uh, you know, make an effort to follow that as well. Yeah. It's almost one of those things where if you meet it halfway, it will be the gift that keeps on giving, right? It just continues to provide additional uh, pieces of insight or information about, um, you know, the kind of person that maybe like has that, that room for introspection, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Meet it halfway is a good way to describe it too. Yeah. And that's kind of my approach to literature anyway, in general, like, yeah. you, you know, nothing is out of its time and place and meeting it halfway helps you, you know, appreciate yeah. it better. I think. I love that. Um, do you feel like you were a good student back in the day when you were going to school? I was, yeah, I was yeah. a pretty good student. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it just, uh, it strikes me that you probably had to balance a lot while you were doing that. Um, when did you feel like maybe you had bit off more than you could chew? Cause you mentioned that you kind of got into the translating project sort of, uh, you know, as, as a playful thing or something out of curiosity more like, but when you were starting to get into it a little bit further, uh, maybe you had invested some time into it already. When did you feel like, Oh shit, maybe I've gone a little bit too far <laughs> into this, or maybe I should be doing something else. Did you ever feel that way? Um, well, you know, often, yeah, sure. Well, <laughs> the same way about, about other things too, like my PhD, I like almost every other day I'd be like, Oh, well, I just need to drop out of this program. What am I doing here? And then I'm like, well, I've come too far now. I'm not going to, you know, what is that? The yeah. fallacy of, uh, I can't remember the fallacy, right? But sure. it's one of those things. Like a point of no um, return then? You're right. Yeah. Point of no return. Um, the line of Macbeth is in blood stepped in so far mm. to return where his tedious as gore. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. uh, yeah, I mean, I think one of the big points was when I finished the first draft of the translation of the whole Inferno and then like looked back, you know, comparing the original first few cantos to like my last few cantos mm. and just seeing like how completely different they were mm. and realizing that I really need to rewrite almost everything. Oh my God. <laughs> so yeah. that and was kind of one of those moments. How much time had you spent at that point? Oh, I'm not sure. I could figure it out, but it would be years, you oh know, my God. I, I could figure it out by like my save files. Right. Yeah. But... <laughs> oh, good Lord. Yeah. That, that's just sounds like such a Herculean task. I mean, there's just so much there now. Um, how does this balance out with your life? You know, having a kid is, is always a, you know, uh, a priority, right. As well as yeah. family life and things like that have you found something that works for you or that worked for you while you were working on this project in terms of any sense of balance, if there was any to be had? Yeah. I mean, it was, it's definitely a constant balancing act. Um, like you said, I mean, family is top priority. So if, you know, if I need to spend time doing something family related, I do that instead. Um, doing a PhD for, uh, you know, for a living basically, um, was helpful in some ways. Um, you don't get a lot of money from a PhD, but, <laughs> but what you do have is you have some autonomy over your schedule and stuff like that. I see. So that helped in some ways. Um, and then when I finished, my wife was finishing up nursing school at the same time. Oh, wow. And, um, so she actually took off some time to stay at home with my son, with our son, and, um, you know, write when I could and that type of thing. And so that was very helpful too. Yeah. And I can imagine your job 
takes a lot out of you as well. Is it an engineering kind of job or position that you currently hold? Yeah, it is. It's it's like a postdoctoral you know, research position. Oh, I see. Okay. In, in materials engineering. And so, yeah, like I kind of have to stop and shift gears. Like I'm slow. Okay. <laughs> so, so, uh, yeah. So sometimes if I'm, you know, been working all day and then come home, spend time with my family, like that's it. That's all I can really muster up. So that's fine. Oh <laughs> I'm, I'm done done with the translation now. So, uh, you know, <laughs> I can take a, sh- a little break. You so. can rest again. Oh yeah. my God. And so like you, you've bounced back to other translations, like you did the, the poem sort of uh, Pablo Neruda, and you also worked on your own novel. And I'm really, really curious about your novel. If we could go there for just a moment, because I, I know that this was an adaptation of, yeah. of one of Sophocles' plays. And uh, as a theater kid, that was one of my favorite areas, you know, the Greek tragedies of the time. And I'm curious what drew you to to the play Philoctetes and and how you made it your own or how you created something that could have one foot in that realm, but also in the present time and with a bit of your flair and voice. Yeah. Um, so when I read that play in particular, I just the way I saw the story, I was like, man, this could be almost like a, you know, modern sci-fi action movie or something. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, uh, you know, there's a lot more introspection than most action movies, but, (laughs) but the the plot at least is, you know, there's like a, a bow and arrow. Oh, Hey bud. (laughs) So my son just walked in. That's all good. I got I got to tell you that is uh my favorite part of interviews. Like that would have been my kid, you know, a couple of years back, my kid's 9. So uh I usually tell him, you know, when um my wife's not around or whatever. It's like, "All right, dude, you got to help me out. You got to just sit there for a sec and do your thing." And it still cracks me up. I just I just love it. You know, it's either yeah. kids or cats and it makes my day. Oh, they, yeah, they definitely are. <laughs> Uh, and you know, like I, I locked this door too. He knows how to. Yeah. <laughs> no, my my kid did that. Like he's got his little fingernail. I don't even know how he does it, but you know they find a way. They, yeah, they always do. But <laughs> he finds coin. He finds coins. Those are his keys. Ah, you know, he'll, he'll ah, get in with those. <laughs> sneaky. <laughs> oh, but that's that's the life, you know. Um, and I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. I, you go ahead. <laughs> Oh yeah. So, well, that's the work-life balance we were talking about. So that that actually fits in nicely. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so, um, yeah. So, oh, Philoctetes, right? So I read that story, that tragedy, and I I just love the story. There's this bow that never misses, right? That's Mm kind of like an action movie element yeah, or sci-fi movie element. And, uh, you know, there's a big war going on between the major powers of the world at the time. Uh, so, you know, a lot of interesting things going on. And I thought, like, this would be really cool as a as a sci-fi story set in modern times. And so that's kind of what I set out to do. And I didn't set out to write a novel. I was going to do, like, a short story. And then it, like, I was kind of following the text in a way, um, like, trying to include dialogue from Sophocles, but, like, make it my own. Mm. And then also adding lots of, of other things that aren't in, in the original play. Mm-hmm. So 
that was basically the idea. And it, it that was another thing where it kind of got out of hand. I was like, well, this is, <laughs> I have like 40, 40 pages. It's not like anywhere near wrapping up. Let's make it not a short story anymore. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where that comes from. And so it starts with more like almost like genre fiction and then proceeds into the, the tragedy of, mm-hmm. you know, Sophocles, mm-hmm. Sophocles tragedy. So, yeah, that was really, really fun to to do. And that was, I guess, another thing, another project that broke up my translation of Dante, too. Yeah. How long ago was that that you worked on the novel? Oh, uh, well, that was... When was it published? Maybe 2012, so it would oh, have been... okay. Yeah. I see. Just before that point. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like you write pretty fast when you get in a groove or when you feel like you have, you know, those aims set? I as not really. So I'm I'm pretty slow in almost everything that I do. <laughs> Same. <laughs> but I definitely do get in grooves. But what I like to do while I'm writing is I re I constantly reread. Mm-hmm. So I'm like I write a little bit, I go back and I reread and yeah. see how it flows into things, you know. Yeah. So that that makes it very slow. It does make editing easier because I'm more happy with the final product. Yeah. Even though, <laughs> you know, even though, like I said, like when I got to the end of Inferno, I was like, oh, let's change this whole thing. <laughs> but, right. But yeah, so it's a slow process, but it, it works for me. Yeah. So given how with the translation, when you, you're doing Inferno, there seems to be a huge preoccupation with form. I mean, you're working in a very specific type of, of verse. And, you know, compared to when you're working on a manuscript or something like that, do you feel like and again, these are very specific to you working on a manuscript that is based on something that has such a specific form too, that is still more of a, an original work too. Do you take that into consideration, you know, uh, looking at the structures of these Greek plays in any, in any form, or does that not influence you once you look at the source material for the story that it is? If, if I were to, let's say, translate a Greek play form would be very important and I would want to try to mimic the form. Mm. Um, for the novel, it was not so important. It was more to get the story and then to try to, you know, use some of the dialogue that I liked. Mm. Um, so I do kind of embed little bits of form. Like sometimes if you read maybe parts of a paragraph, it'll kind of sound like it's in an iambic pentameter and maybe there's a rhyme mm. scheme. That's because there is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not like I'm trying not to draw attention to it. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it's not like yeah. set off, you know? Right. So, um, and it's not the form of the original. So, yeah. um, yeah. that's just sort of my own thing, uh, for, for Dante, for like a direct translation, I think the form is one of the most fun parts is trying to mimic the form of the original, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, so I do try yeah. to mimic that for, for direct translation. Yeah. What makes a poor translation? of of Dante's Inferno. Like what were some things that you just realize are not you know accurately representing the work? Okay. So I'm definitely not going to like name any translators. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, <laughs> just personal preferences, I should say. <laughs> right, personal preferences. So like okay, so given that it's a rhymed translation, one of the most important things for me was that it still sound natural and not stilted or like weird syntax and things like that Mm. so that was super important um and my issue with some of the rhyming translations that already exist was that like just doesn't sound like you know good english necessarily right um 
and that that's again like not naming names there are some that are out there that are fantastic so mm-hmm. um and then the other thing is um so this this one's much more subtle so so dante goes between all sorts of different like registers of of speaking so he has parts that are that are really crass low humor you know and and crude stuff that the devils are doing and the language is rough Mm. and then he'll go up and he'll talk about ulysses um and have this really bold you know epic sounding language Mm -hmm. right so one of the things that that needs to be avoided like the most if somebody else you know (laughs) <laughs> let's say somebody else wants to go translate Dante uh, is to is to try not to make it sound flat. Like it, there, there are so many different uh, moods and feelings throughout the poem and it's, and it's comes across directly in the writing style. Mm. So um, that's really hard to replicate. And I think that's the biggest issue. My biggest, biggest issue with some of the translations, even good ones, it's doesn't capture the emotion as much through mm. the style. Mm-hmm. No, that's wonderful. So dealing with foreign languages and, and things like that, are there languages that, that you feel comfortable in that uh, you were able to take from source material? Cause you mentioned you, you worked with the Neruda poems in Spanish or, you know, looking at, um, you know, the text from Inferno, are there languages that you feel more acclimated to? Mostly English, (laughs) unfortunately. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I took quite a bit of Spanish in classes in high school and college, Mm -hmm. but like, I can't speak it. You know, Mm -hmm. I can't carry a conversation in Spanish. I'd love to be able to, but, you know, I I never had practice conversationally, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So I can like, I, I more or less can read it. I understand like the grammatical structure, but I don't know all all the words necessarily, right? So mm-hmm. you have to have assistance, like if I'm translating Neruda. Sure, sure. Um, and same with Dante. Like I, over time, I I started not knowing Italian when I started, but I know it pretty well now. I can read it. Oh, awesome! Can't, can't speak it. I still need some assistance here mm-hmm. and there, you know. Yeah. So, <laughs> but it's exciting because like you you look at the text and I'm sure that you're referencing, I mean, I can't even imagine the, the amount of research that went into this. And I love that you, you just sort of became a scholar by, <laughs> by just sheer passion, you know, and, and um, I don't want to say without academic rigor, but there is your own rigor of study and dedication to it. So I'm curious how that experience has been for you, just acquiring this much information on something that you love. Yeah, I mean, well, fortunately, I like doing that type of thing, so that's mm-hmm. a benefit. But it's it's a whole lot of work, and it's get, like probably the bulk of the work uh, is less in writing and more in study. Mm-hmm. You know, because yeah. trying to understand where Dante's coming from, what tricky passages mean, yeah, um, like what he's referring to and why, um, those types of of questions. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been really interesting, and I'm very fortunate to be living in the time period that I do because mm-hmm. we have tons of easy to access resources yeah, um, yeah. On, online. And there's been, you know, thousands of scholars of Dante over this, over the years that now I can sort of benefit from their labor. Mm-hmm. So, um, so like a, as an example, you know, when I'm translating, I have the Italian text in front of me 
And then I also have three other translations in front of me. And then I make this sort of weird, like pigeon language version um, <laughs> that only makes sense to me. Like mm. it kind of looks like code on the screen. Yeah. Um, I make that first and then I go through. And as I'm going through that, I'm also reading commentaries on the poem. So like oh, the, the big one is um, Charles Singleton's commentary. And then there's other people that have great commentaries as well. Mm. But um so I'm kind of doing all of that as I go through very slowly. And then I go through and do the, the version in verse. Mm. So, um, yeah. So like I said, it's slow, <laughs> but it's nice. Cause it's kind of like a really, a really close, close reading of the poem. Mm. Oh, and that's lovely to hear, especially now that it is live and ready to go. It's published. Uh, that, that has to be a, an incredibly rewarding feeling. What was the publication path for this? project yeah so i mean I, I debated back and forth about which ways to pursue and i ended up deciding to do independent publishing um part of that decision is because i, I did that for neruda and it worked out very well mm. that that's been like pretty successful mm. um and it's nice because you get to sort of control everything yeah. uh, there's obvious downsides because like your book's probably not going to appear in, you know, big stores, um, that type of thing. Like the, mm -hmm. the, the only way people can really get it are online or if bookstores happen to place an order mm -hmm. for it. And so, um, so there's downsides and some people like some outlets will kind of ignore, ignore you if you don't have like, you know, a big name publisher or whatever. Mm -hmm. So that's fine. I kind of knew that getting into it, but I thought this was a good way to go, um, to be able to sort of get out the book that I wanted to get out. Yeah. What are some takeaways or learning experiences from that process that you you feel have been pivotal or that you want to take to the next project? Um, so, yeah, so I, a lot of the things I learned from doing the Neruda book first, um, in that book, I like didn't purchase my own ISBN numbers. And so like it shows up as independently published, right? Mm. So those are like there's lots of little small things. Like I didn't contact enough, enough reviewers. Um, I didn't, I definitely didn't get on any podcasts. So <laughs> well, come back anytime. <laughs> hey, happy to. Doors always open. <laughs> so, um, so I think, I think those taught me lessons, like what I should do for Inferno. Um, and I think it ended up being a more professional product, even though I'm still very happy with the, the Neruda translation as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, this looks, you know, the, the Inferno translation is, is very great. It's exactly the way I want it. I'm, I'm not going to change any of it, right? <laughs> like the Naruto book, I might come up with a second, second edition, you know? So, <laughs> so um, those are some of the takeaways. And just like, yeah, you know, there's a lot of hard work that goes into it, like marketing and stuff like that. I've just been sending emails to anybody that might be possibly interested in it and yeah. might, or like, bloggers who do book reviews and all sorts of stuff. Right. So I'm trying to get all that down in my head. I'm not very good at it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, it's amazing because you, you do show that determination. Right. And I think most of us just kind of look at the, you know, look at the mountaintop from the very base. And then we go, ah, oh, hell that's not, that's not worth it. <laughs> I just rather let it languish and, you know, in, my own purgatory or whatever, but I, it's admirable because I do think that we can empower writers a lot more. And 
you know, having that example is is definitely very optimistic, especially in your in your lane, right? In the area of sharing these classic works to a newer generation. And, you know, that's one of my last questions. And I, I only got a couple more because I want to respect your time. But um, before I come back to that, that big question, I want to ask you what you have on the horizon. It seems like you have more translations and, and other projects. And I'm curious to know what, what else is uh, coming up. Yeah, sure. So there's three things I kind of have going on, at least in, in my head so far, right? So, well, two of them are, are in progress. So one is a translation of the Iliad. Mm. in the in dactylic hexameter um wow. so basically there's a poem by longfellow called evangeline and it has sort of the meter that i'm going for but less try to be less archaic in my language mm. um so there's that i have some of the first book like it's very you know very much um in the beginning stages of that um so that's one Another is another book of Dante's, the Vita Nuova, which is um, the book that I mentioned that he wrote while still in Florence about Beatrice. Oh, and um, it's a short book. um, So I thought it was sort of a no brainer to translate it and it would be fun. It would be a nice way to stick with Dante without moving on right away to purgatory. (laughs) So, um, and I'd say I'm about halfway through that. And, um, and then, of course, the next big project for Dante is to move on and do Purgatory. Mm-hmm. So I have not started that yet, but uh, I'm waiting for the opportune time. <laughs> you deserve a little break. You know, it seems like, uh, yeah, you got to take a little bit of time for uh, for just about everything else. But two more questions uh, before I leave you be. I'm curious, because we've been focusing on the classics, what are some contemporary works whether be they books music or or movies tv shows whatever that are inspiring you or making you feel like like you're getting your creative vibe going again sure man that's hard to answer because i like a lot of variety of things oh video games too i love oh, video, video games game. too yeah <laughs> absolutely so i like all of these things all right so <laughs> so <laughs> I'm I'm a big gamer. Um right now uh yeah, well, I'm not playing and I'm I've been done with it for a long time, but I my favorite game right now is Breath of the Wild. Great Breath game. Of the Wild. What is that? Uh, it's a Legend of Zelda game. Oh, okay. So that's that's just really fun. It's imaginative. It's a huge, you know, expansive world and there's details in every little corner of the world. So that's very cool. <laughs> um and then if there's like story oriented games, there's like a, there's this weird little game called the the Stanley Parable, where um, oh man, it's hard to even describe <laughs> that game. You almost just have to play it. Like you play it and you start and you're like, oh, this is kind of a weird game. You're just like walking through this office, mm. and there's a narrator, and you eventually come to this spot where there's two doors, and you can go through either door. And like basically whatever happens, you go through one of the doors and then you end up like dying or something happens and it finishes. And then you find yourself back at the beginning Whoa. and you have to, you have to go back through and make different choices, but it like kind of remembers what you've been doing and the choices you've been making. And the narrator is like speaking to you and kind of like making jokes and stuff like that. So <laughs> that's a, that's another good one. Uh, that's awesome. They just, yeah. 
so that's that's some things um let's see for books man what have i i don't even know what i've been re- i've been reading like all dante recently so it's like <laughs> I'm like oh this thing about dante and this other thing about that um, <laughs> tough to get out of the uh, the mindset when you're working right there is a great book about dante called dante's bones which is uh oh. about what happened to basically his his remains after his death and, oh. it, and it also goes into his life and stuff but full of super interesting stories uh, so that's that's a good, a oh, good I love one. That. i'll have to check that one out yeah and then um you know i like i like reading um i like reading formal poetry and there's this one that i read to my son i guess this was actually a couple years ago now um or no i guess one year ago but it's called the the battle of the frogs and mice and it's a translation Mm. um and it's basically like this it's an ancient poem and so whoever wrote it wrote it like in the style of the Iliad, but it's about these frogs and mice and they're like battling each other. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and that's, that's super great. fun. Yeah. That's the translator is, is AE Stallings. She has a rhyming, uh, you know, verse translation. It's really good. So, um, that's like, <laughs> these are things that I'm that are non Dante related. I'm trying to think. Of. <laughs> <laughs> no, but those are great because it, it just goes to show, especially you know children's books in the last you know recent eight or nine years of my life. That's a majority of the stuff that I've been reading because of my kid. <laughs> you know, so yeah. I always appreciate those. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, me too. <laughs> so, lastly, um, I'm very curious about this what kind of lessons and takeaways can we learn from the classics? Because we tend to think of them as these antiquated old ways of, of telling stories and living, but what is it that you would like to share about the importance of these works for our modern times? Yeah. I mean, it's hard to answer in a, in general terms, I think, because I think when you, when you delve into specifics, it's, it's easier to see like, wow, this is, very powerful or you know this applies here or there i think partly um so part of it is what we were talking about earlier like meeting a work halfway so to get something out of it if you if you approach it as if it came out you know yesterday in the bookstore and you just bought it it's you're not you're going to find a lot of things you don't like you're going to be like wow these people are really misogynistic and you know they have uh they have slaves and all sorts of horrible things like this is this is not a good book but <laughs> if you if you approach it halfway and understand that they're they're writing from their world they're also writing really really deeply about about the human mind and about interactions between people and there's just a lot to say about about how people work how emotions work and um and, and also a lot to say, there's a lot of, a lot to be said about how form, poetic form connects to those things. Hmm. Um, and I think, I think the classics, you know, the, the people that are still read today were masters of that. And that's, that's worth, um, you know, trying to replicate today. Um, I also really love narrative poetry, like long narrative poetry. And I wish that there was more of that around today. Like, hmm. You know, so that's one of my favorite things about the classics is like you can read these really intricate poems, and they have they're great as poetry, but they're also long stories that are really good as stories. 
you know, they have themes that come, you know, come back, come back around later in later in the story and things like that. Right. <laughs> so, um, and of course, like Dante is the top of all of that. Like <laughs> I, I don't agree with all of Dante's politics. He'd be crazy too, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, I don't agree with his, all of his views on social things. You'd, you'd kind of be crazy to do that too. But I mean, he lived in, you know, 1300. So, <laughs> um, but, um, but he has a lot to say about, about the modern world because he has a lot to say about people and how people work and how really how moral questions work, you know, how we can think about things like nothing is, you know, you'd think that if it's this, this, christian work that it would be black and white like these people are in hell they're all evil that's not true like there there's nuances and there's shades of gray and you know you have to really think hard like why is this person in hell they seem like a good person <laughs> would i put them in hell dante obviously did you know yeah, so you yeah. have to think hard about these things um like as an example like a, one a sin that dante condemns is suicide and um you know, your opinion could be one way or the other on that, but that's the sin that he condemns. And um, yet there's two characters in the poem that both died, at least two that I know of, that both died by committing suicide and they're in different places. Hmm. They're not being condemned for suicide. In fact, one of them, Cato, is saved. He's in purgatory. So it just makes you think, like, why? Yeah. Why did Dante do that? You know, and you have mm -hmm. to sit down and think about these things. So I think that's the, the power of classics in general is, is they're not easy and you have to think hard and it makes you think about your own values, you know, and you don't have to agree with the values of the classics to do that. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, I love that, Jay. Thank you so much for all of these uh, amazing answers that you've given us today. And I, I want to thank you for your work. I mean, I'm really excited to check out your translation. I think it's it's going to be wonderful, and it's going to show the love that you've put into this work and and passion. Um, it's it's almost a life's work. So I'm I'm very very excited to get to to know more about you through your work, and uh, especially check out your novel too, because that really kind of I'm really excited to to check that one out too. I think it's going to be that, awesome. That makes me very excited because I think yeah. I've sold like 10 copies of that novel. So well, I, let, that let that be 11. Let that be 11. And I'll tell everyone, you know, I, all I know is theater people. So we, we like that sort of stuff. Yeah, um, but, no, it's good. It's good. I just did no promotion at all. So. <laughs> hey, well, there's always time. But I, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to do this and for, you know, sharing some some thoughts with me. But. I hope we can meet again. You know, when the next one comes along, feel free to stop by and say hi, and I'll be here for you. But definitely, definitely. And thanks for having me on. I was like really glad I discovered this podcast. I've been listening to episodes now. So oh, thanks, man. I... Now, now I'm on it, so I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really appreciate it. But anytime, man, I will be here. And it's just such a pleasure. And uh, I wish you and your craft, your writing the best, your translating. And of course, family, I wish you all, all very, very well. Thank you so much. All right, man. Let's be in touch, okay? We'll talk All to right, you soon. Bye. That bye. sounds good.